All right, if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open up to 1 Samuel. Uh, now today is going to look a little bit different. We are starting a new series that we are simply calling David. All right, David. And what we are going to do is, is we are going to look at the life of David. All right, and he's one of the more well-known characters from the Old Testament. So his story is told through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, all right, and First and Second Samuel, that really is actually just one book. The only reason why we have First and Second Samuel is because back when this was written on a scroll, it would become too large to be on one scroll. All right, it wasn't like someone wrote First Samuel and it was a big hit and everyone loved it and they're like, all right, time for the sequel. Samuel 2, David's Revenge. You know, like that, that's not like how they did this. So this, this is simply just kind of one book that's written on two scrolls. But we're going to look through really kind of all of 1 Samuel this morning. All right, so I'm not going to actually be reading any specific scriptures. We're going to kind of just take a little bit of an overview, and I want us to look at some specific characters in there. Now, oftentimes when we read through the Bible, I think it's easy to look at some of these books as just purely like a history book. But the reality is that's not how these were always written. All right, like do they tell some history? Yes, they do. But more often than not, these had specific purposes. The author, as they wrote it, were trying to get specific ideas across, all right? And stories can tell history. You can learn that through stories. Uh, but if you read these as just straight history, you're going to miss a lot of what the author wanted. As well as they aren't written as, as very good history books. Like as we're going to see later today, there is hardly any ages given, dates given, time periods given through this entire book of 1 Samuel. Like, we don't actually know a whole lot of that. Which, if this were a history book, you'd be like, you would expect a little, like, I'd like to know when this is happening and how long this happened and how old was this person. Some of those basic things are left out because it's not the point. All right? And so, if these books aren't history, and these are stories that we should be learning from and reading them that way, what should we be focusing on? Well, most of the time, if there is a message that an author really wants to get across, they will say that message several times, all right, and in several different ways. Now, in it, so the main characters in 1 Samuel here, we have Samuel, who is the prophet. We have Saul, who is the first king of Israel. And then we have David, who is Saul's successor, kind of the second king. All right, and those are the people that are, are mainly focused in this book of 1 Samuel. All right, and then there's a main idea that runs through it, and it shows up kind of right away in chapter 2, and I'm going to briefly highlight that, look at where else it kind of shows up again. Uh, but for us this morning, this is what I want. Uh, for some of us, this might be a new way of looking at the book of 1 Samuel. And that actually makes me excited, because I think any time that we can kind of dust off our traditional way of reading something it opens us up to allow God to speak to us in a new way. Like if we've read this before time and time again, you're like, okay, yeah, I know the stories. Okay, but that's not the focus. So I'm excited this morning as we have a chance to just allow God to uh, speak to us and I want us to be ready for that. Before we move on, can we just stand across this place? I want to just pray as we jump into the message here this morning. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would just highlight new things for us in a new way. God, we know that your word never changes, that it's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. 
But we know that we change, that you change our mind, you form it, and as that happens, we should be looking at these in new ways. So God, we ask this morning that there would just be new insight from you that we could then apply to our life that would challenge us and would change us today. We ask that in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. So we have three main characters and a bit of a theme that runs through this, and I want to trace that real quickly for us. Uh, again, if you have a Bible, you can kind of follow along in that. But we start at the beginning of chapter 1. We see a woman named Hannah. And Hannah didn't have any children, but she desperately wanted to have kids. She really wanted to have a son. So she's praying to God. She's pleading with him. And she's saying, uh, please, God, will you give me a son? In fact, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. Like, I, I will give him to you, and he will serve you all of his life. So Hannah becomes pregnant, gives birth, and when her son Samuel is three, she brings him to the Lord's temple, and he is going to live there for his life, and he's going to serve God. And I can't imagine, so my, my daughter, Junia, who's just up here, she is turning three in just a few weeks. Like, I can't imagine at three years old being like, all right, here's my child, bye, like, I'll see you once a year when I visit the temple type of thing. Like, it's, it's crazy. And, and Hannah, as she's doing this, she sings this song that's in chapter two. All right, all, all of chapter two, or the first half is this song, and it's interesting it focuses on how things are opposite from what we would think. All right, so as you read through the song, it talks about how the strong will be broken and the weak will be made strong. All right, those that are fed are going to be starving and those that are starving are going to be full. The poor are now rich and the rich are now poor. Those without kids now have kids. Like this is Hannah's song. She is singing this. And this right here introduces the idea of this book. It's all of these opposites kind of being flipped around. And if you've, if you've been here as we've gone through some of the gospel, we notice when Jesus comes, he kind of flips everything upside down and says, the world really is meant to be a different way. And we see this in Hannah's song. And what the main focus or theme of this is, is despite any wickedness, God is working out his purpose in these situations. And with that, the humble, the meek, the lowly will be raised up. The proud, the rich, the arrogant will be brought down. And this theme right here is the theme that runs the entire book of this Bible. And we see it show up several times. So as the book progresses, we have Samuel. He ends up being a prophet, which is a voice for God. God speaks to him. He speaks to the people for God. All right, and we move into chapter 4, and the Israelites, they're fighting the Philistines. This seems like it's always happening, and they lose a battle to the Philistines. And they're like, how did we lose? What is happening here? We need to figure this out. We can't lose another battle, otherwise we're kind of out of this. Well, the Israelites are like, well, lucky for us, we have the secret sauce. Like, we have this, like, thing that will make us win. We have the Ark of the Covenant. And if we bring the Ark of the Covenant here, we are going to win. Because the Ark was symbolic for God's presence. So the ark is where God's presence was, and they're like, if we bring the ark, this will work. All right? And, and what happens here is they had actually misplaced their trust, not in God anymore, but in the object of the ark of the covenant. And in doing this, they are walking into grounds of being prideful of what they have instead of being reliant on God's presence. 
That's what's happening with the Israelites here. And as long as we have this object, we are going to win this battle. But in fact, they lose again, even worse. Pride leads to their defeat against the Philistines. Fast forward, the ark was captured. It now gets returned. All right, Israel goes to Samuel. They say, we want a king. Everyone else has a king. We want a king. Samuel says, this is a bad idea. Samuel goes to God, and God says, just give them what they want. So Samuel finds a king. And we have the first king of Israel, Saul, who comes on the scene. Now, remember I said this book is meant to be a character study for us. Like that's, The whole book here is, is looking at the characters that are in it. And we're supposed to look at them, and we're supposed to kind of be able to see ourselves in them. That's what a character study is. In 1 Samuel, we have these three characters. We are supposed to be able to see ourselves in this. So, as Saul comes on the scene, we should be able to look at Saul... And at moments, we should make connections to ourselves. Like, I am like Saul in this way. Saul just responded in this way. That's how I probably would have responded. We should make that connection. All right? And so do we get that? Like, this is as we look at Saul, as we look at David today, we should be looking for how am I like them. So Saul shows up. He is tall and good-looking, seems to be everything you would want in a king. Wow, already I see so much of myself in Saul. Like, this is amazing. I love this character study. Tall and good-looking are the two phrases I hear most about myself as I talk in the mirror in the morning. Also, humble. Humble is the, the, the third one. Okay. Saul has some deep character issues, though. Like, on paper, Saul's amazing. You're like, this is, this is an awesome king. But he's actually, he, he's, he's dishonest. He lacks integrity. He's wildly insecure about himself, all right? And he cannot admit when he is wrong. So really, he is prideful, all right? So with the theme of this book so far, Saul is prideful. We should kind of know where this is going to end up going, right? And Saul does pretty good for a little while, but he really, one of the things he cares about most deeply is he wants to be liked by the people that he is ruling. He cares so much about what other people Think. And because of that, he ends up making two big decisions where he disobeys God and, and really disqualifies himself from being used by God and leading God's people. And this all reaches its climax in chapter 15. All right, Saul ends up caring more about what the Israelites think about him and whether they like him than what God is telling him to do. Samuel confronts him about these decisions. Saul makes a bunch of excuses, and God says, You will no longer be king. Your time is coming to an end. Uh, I'm going to seek out someone better than you. I'm going to look for someone who is after my heart. He's like, your time isn't done yet, but I have now just put an end time on this. This needs to come to an end. And at this point, David comes onto the scene. All right, and, and I can't do justice this morning for Saul. Like, what I would encourage you is throughout this week, if you are not currently already kind of going through some type of reading plan, sit down with 1 Samuel and just begin to read through this book. Watch Saul. Watch how he responds. Watch how he acts, how he handles situations. And treat it as a, as a character study where you're looking for yourself. Do I look like Saul in this? All right, so David shows up. And this is our second person we are supposed to look at that we should use as kind of a mirror for ourselves. And David is not what you would expect from a king. He is the youngest sibling. He is scrawny. He is this little shepherd boy. Samuel would not and did not pick him out of a lineup for who he thinks the next king should be. But David is anointed as the next king of Israel by Samuel. 
This is done in private. You see these amazing, humble beginnings of David. That's, that's what this is focusing on here. David is then brought into the service of King Saul to play music for him. This brings us up to a story that we often think about when we hear the name David. This is David and his battle with Goliath. And, and with Goliath here, you have this big, giant warrior for the Philistines. And he's coming out and he is yelling at the Israelites and all these things are happening. And, and basically, he is arrogant. He taunts them. He slanders God to them. Like Goliath is, is pride in human form. Like that's the picture you get. This big, massive guy that thinks he's the best at everything, just yelling at them, calling God names, all sorts of different things. He's the embodiment of pride. And David comes against him, defeats him. And what this story shows us again is that the humble will be lifted up and the prideful will be brought low. This is this theme of this book that we see. The story shows that God chose David not because of his family or his looks or his skill. God chose David because he has radical and humble trust in God. And from this point on, Saul becomes more and more insecure, more and more jealous and scared of David and the influence that, that God was giving to him. All right, now what I want us to do this morning really quickly is this. I want us to put ourselves into the shoes of David. This is important. If we're going to do a, a character study, you have to be able to empathize and be part of their story and think about how would I handle that situation that they're in right now. That's how we are able to use this as a mirror. All right, so I want us to think about this. You have David, and he's minding his own business, tending sheep, and all of a sudden, he is told, all right, you are going to be the next king. You are going to be the next big shot, the next boss. All right? But it's not going to happen yet. And in the meantime, your job is to go and serve the current leader who you are going to replace someday. Maybe, maybe you've actually even had this situation in your life. You got a job somewhere, and you knew that your job was eventually going to turn into the job above you. And in this time, you're sitting there, you're watching your boss, you're learning, you're looking at how they handle things, how do they make decisions, how do they lead people, and you, you, you look up to them, you're like, wow, this is so great, I'm learning from them. And you see their low moments as well. And you're, you're trying to learn from those. And, and what we have here is, is David, who's doing everything he can to please Saul. And to, to that sounds bad. He, he's pleasing God, but he is working with everything he has to serve Saul. Because that's what he's been called to do. He puts in all the extra time. Like, think about this at your job. You're putting in all the overtime. You're doing everything. You're doing the jobs no one else wants to do. And other people begin to notice and they think, oh man, you're such a great worker and they, and they like you for that. And they begin to say, wow, you are so good at this job. You would probably be good at the boss's job. And, and in your head, you're like, yeah, I know, I'm probably going to have that job. And deep down, you already know you're going to take this over. And, and, and you start getting praise at work and your employee of the month and you're everybody's favorite because you're just, you're working hard. All right, that's where I want you to put yourself. And after all this hard work, how does your boss repay you? 
When your boss calls you and says, will you take the shift this weekend? No one else will. Yes, I will, because I want to serve you. Will you do this job that no one else will do? Yes, I will. And you are doing everything you can. And how does your boss repay you? Saul's response is to attack David with spears, both figuratively and literally. Right, like Saul slanders David. He accuses him of all sorts of wrongs. He's literally throwing spears at David. David continues to serve Saul and do every, serve Saul and do everything that he asks. All right, so can you imagine this? After all your hard work, how are you repaid? Your boss tries to get you fired. Your boss can't stand you. Your boss begins to talk incredibly poorly about you to everybody else. Some of you are in the room. You're like, yes, I've been in this situation before. David has to run for his life and live in the wilderness, and he does this for the remainder of Saul's life. We don't have times or ages, but our best guess is that this is about seven years that David is running in the wilderness. And this is where we really get to see David's character on full display. All right? So again, put yourself in David's sandals. How mad would you be? How mad would you be? How unfair and unjust is this? How would you respond? If your boss starts treating you this way, you've done everything for them. You've laid everything down. You've said yes when other people said no. Other people called in sick and you went in anyways. And now your boss is just done with you, can't stand you. How would you respond? I think for a lot of us, we, we'd probably take it to our fellow coworkers. Tell them everything what's going on. Try and flip it back on your boss. Maybe get them fired. Stand up for yourself. All right, David doesn't do any of that. He leaves, he runs, he lets Saul continue to do his thing. David takes the entire burden on himself. He says, I trust God. God is in control. God's timing is perfect. If he wanted me to be king now, he would make it happen. Saul continually sends soldiers to try and find and kill David. Saul's pride continually drives him to think that no one else could be king, only Saul. And in this time, there's actually two chances where David has to kill Saul. And he passes up on those. David and, and some of his men are hiding in a cave back inside. And Saul goes into the cave to actually use the bathroom as he's hunting David. And David's men are like, all right, here's your chance. Go kill him. And David sneaks up and his conscience begins to speak to him. God begins to speak to him. And he actually just cuts off a piece of his robe instead. He even goes out and afterwards Saul leaves. David's like, look, I could have killed you. And I didn't. And Saul's all apologetic. I'm so sorry. I, man, I've been so terrible to you. I'm done doing this. And yet Saul continues to chase him down. David's humility says that if that king should be removed, God can do it. God put him there. God can remove him. God hasn't removed him, so he's still my king. God is still using him in my life. I can still learn from him. And this goes on for the remainder of, of Saul and David's life. Saul never stops chasing David down, and David never stops honoring Saul. All right, like, let, let this sink in. This phrase right here as we do this character study. Saul never stops trying to kill David, and David never stops honoring Saul. 
Like, this is such a massive contrast between these two characters. Finally, Saul comes to the end of his life. He meets a grisly fate on the battlefield. And when David hears word of this, he celebrates, he calls a press conference, he blows the whole story wide open. He writes a tell-all memoir called The Crazy King and shares everything that he endured. No, Saul dies and David weeps. David cries. He mourns. He tears his clothes. He doesn't eat food. He continues to honor Saul. It's so amazing to see how David conducts himself in these years leading up to him being a king. Like we often hear this phrase as David is a man after God's heart. And yet, as we'll see next week, David makes some pretty serious mistakes. If you don't know it, spoiler, he has an affair and then commits murder to try and cover it up and all these like terrible things. How can we call him a man after God's heart? Well, you look at the foundation of his character. And we understand that people make mistakes. But the way that David has conducted himself is amazing. The proud are brought low and the humble are exalted. Now, normally when a new king comes in, they would go through the nation, they would find any relatives of the previous king, and they would get rid of them, they would kill them, whatever that would look like. David goes and finds Saul's, like, one of his last remaining relatives. And David actually invites him to his house, and he says, you are honored, you're going to live in my house, you're going to eat from my table, you're going to eat my food. Like David, his honoring of Saul goes beyond Saul's life. So this book is meant to be a mirror for us. We're going to close. Kelly, can you come and just play a little bit? As we read through these stories, we should see ourselves at different moments in them. And that should be in good places as well as in not so good places. We are meant to see both David and Saul next to each other and in comparison of each other. We should see things in ourselves that we need to deal with, areas that we need to grow in. And when we do this, in this story, one of the first things we should see is this pride and humility thing. I don't know if there is a scarier verse in the Bible than when it says, God opposes the proud. I don't know about you, but I don't ever want God to be in opposition to me. Like oftentimes we say, I don't want to live life with God not with me. And, and, you know, I don't want to be in God's presence. Like, I don't want to move if God's not moving. If God does move, I want to move with him. This is a whole other step. God is in opposition to the proud. The proud are brought low. The humble are exalted. This is the theme of this book. The author intended us to see those differences. And to look inward and apply those to ourselves. Use both David and Saul as a mirror for us. We should see what areas of my life do I look like Saul? What areas do I look like David? That's, that's the question that we are meant to ask. And I purposely wanted to try and make it so we could put ourselves in the shoes of David in this story. Because I wanted us to see how unnatural David's response was. Oftentimes, I think it's easy for us to think, yeah, I would handle things the way that the good guy handled it. 
That's what I would do. But when I read through this story and I see the way that David handles this, when he has authority above him that is unfair and unjust, I can honestly say I would not have conducted myself in the same way that David did. I wish I would. But I don't think I would. And I've had moments where I have authority over me that like someone that's a boss, things like that, that are just... I have served a lot of crummy bosses in my years. I had one in college where I was, I was closing a, a pizzeria every night and we closed at like 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. and I had class at seven the next morning and I'm staying an hour and a half late to clean the whole place because he didn't staff enough people. I'm going to bed, getting a couple hours of sleep, getting up for class. And how does my boss repay me? He actually was going back in and changing when I clocked out in the computer because he thought it was taking me too long to clean. Like I was losing hours and hours every single week out of my paycheck. Like I've had those moments where you have this boss, you have someone you're like, I'm doing everything for you. I'm laying it out for you. And this is how you treat me. And usually then my response in that situation is based on how they are treating me. David's response never had anything to do with how Saul was acting. David had character that said, it doesn't matter how Saul acts, this is how I act. And that's the type of character that we need to have. And as we look at ourselves this morning, I want us to do this. All right, it's easy to judge ourselves by our best moments, right? Like if I wanna look at, am I a good parent? I'm gonna judge my parenting. I'm gonna look at the day when I brought my kids to the playground and we had this cute little picnic and everything was great and my kids are like, oh dad, I love you so much. You're the best dad ever. And we go home and I say, okay kids, clean your room. And they're like, yay, awesome, right away. And then we go to bed on time and it's amazing. And I'm like, look at, I'm an amazing parent. What I'm not going to do is judge myself based off the day where I am screaming at them. They are screaming at me. I don't want to cook a meal. So they're eating McDonald's French fries and ice cream and nothing is cleaned up. The house is a disaster. No one goes to bed on time. Like we have this tendency when we say, look inward, where are we at? What do we need to change? We look at ourselves in the best light. And I, and I want to challenge us this morning. Don't do that. This book is not biased. We should not be either. This book shows us the best and the worst of these characters. So when we look at Saul and we see all of his character flaws, can you look at yourself and do the same? If I were to say, can you write down a list right now of your biggest flaws? Could you do that? Because if you can't, I can probably ask someone in your family and they will have a really long list really quickly. <laughs> like that, that's, we're not perfect. That's fine. We have flaws. We need to be able to be honest about those flaws. And we need to be able to honest in a way where humility allows us to say, I want to change. I don't want this to define me. I want to be different. All right? And so I, I want us to just take a few moments a few moments this morning and I want us to kind of look at just these two questions that we have. The first one is this. Think through your character in your life and I want you to ask where in your life do you 
reflect Saul? Where in your life do you reflect Saul? Saul is insecure. Saul cares what other people think. Saul struggles to tell things how it is. Every time something happens, Saul has excuses for why it happened. Where in your life do you reflect Saul? Maybe there are some things that have been pointed out to you before. And I'm not just saying where do you look exactly like Saul, but where are your flaws? Maybe you've had things pointed out to you. And probably even by people that love you because they see you at your worst. Is there something that someone has said to you over and over and then you respond by getting defensive? Like what, what flaws do you have? Let those areas come up to the surface this morning and allow God to deal with those flaws. Take the road of humility where you would say, God, here I am. Here's what's wrong with me. And I want you to, to, to change me. I want to give you the opportunity to speak into my life, to challenge me, and to change me. We're not going to fall behind some excuse of like, that's just how I am. Yeah, I'm just kind of an angry person. I'm just kind of a blunt person. I just tell it how it is. No, you're a jerk. All right? Like, yes, you can have a personality where you speak things clearly, and you can do that without being a jerk. You're not doing yourself any favors. You're not doing the kingdom of God any favors. Like, where is it in your life? Is there pride in your life? Where do you reflect Saul? And the second question for us is this. How can I look more like David? How can I have this unflinching character like David? Where it doesn't matter what's happening around me. My circumstances do not determine how I respond and how I act. And I am in pursuit of one thing, and that is God. And that's what determines every decision I make. What does that look like for you in your workplace? When all the other employees are acting this way, but it doesn't matter because you act this way, regardless of how they act. When that person at work continues to badmouth you, say different things, try and make people not like you, how are you going to respond? Are you, are you going to respond in the same way? Are you going to respond like David does? This idea of pride and humility is something we have to be able to figure out. So I, I want us to do this. Can we stand across this place today? And I want you to take 30 seconds right now and I want you to ask God and some of you might already have the answer. Right now, we're gonna start with God. What is, what is one flaw? What is one character flaw, one personality flaw? Whatever that it means. What is one flaw in my life that you are calling me this morning to deal with? Let's take 30 seconds, ask God that question, listen for his voice, and I'll close us out.
Jesus, I pray right now, Lord, that we would not just stop at one, but Lord, that you'd begin to speak to us now. And this would start us on a path, Lord, towards humility, towards just a, a, a radical and humble trust in you. God, that when we look at our life, that we would be able to see more of David and less of Saul in us. God, I pray that this week that you would put us in situations that are difficult so that we have to be able to make a decision, how am I going to respond? God, I pray that when we step into those difficult situations that this would come into our mind, we would stop, we would think, do I want to be Saul, do I want to be David? How many of us in the room right now would say that we have, we have something that has come into our mind, some type of flaw, something that we are going to begin to work on today, this week? How many of us are in here that would say that? Raise your hand. Yeah. <laughs> For the hands that didn't go up, lying might be, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we, we all know that we have flaws. I know not all of us respond in, in those types of things, but... I want to close us in prayer. God, would you just, God, speak to us right now. Lord, if we need encouragement to move in this direction, do that. If we need you to just very bluntly reprimand us in an area, God, do that. Whatever it is that we need so we can begin to move in this direction, God, we ask that you would speak to us this morning, this afternoon, tomorrow at work. God, that you would work through us. And that next week, Lord, that we would look a little bit more like the way you want us to. That we would respond a little bit more the way that David would respond in these situations. God, we ask this in your name. Amen.